This is Sports Talk with Phil Cordblue, Chris Bergen, and Pat Daniel. Sports Talk is heard across the state on radio affiliates of the Sports Talk Media Network and is streaming live on SportsTalkSE.com as well as Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. The South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number to call in is 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now, here are Phil, Chris, and Pat with tonight's edition of Sports Talk. All right, welcome in, everybody. Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network. Phil Kornblute, good to have you with us here from our studios in downtown Columbia. Josh Cohen, he is doing the producing tonight. We've given Pat Daniel a much-needed, deserved night off so he can go out. And I think he's doing a little little partying with some friends tonight. Not partying in the partying sense. I think they're like at an oyster roast or something like that. That's kind of That's kind of partying to some people. Uh, Big hoops night here on the program. You've got South Carolina, 15th ranked, at home against Ole Miss. That game's going to tip at 630, so things are already starting to buzz. Over at the Colonial Life Arena, the Gamecocks looking to now handle their business. It's a different world when you're in the top 15. Can they handle their business after those impressive wins that they have put together? And this is a... A good Ole Miss team, good defensively, a good three-point shooting team. So South Carolina's going to have to play excellent basketball tonight and continue to do the things that they've been doing to get them to where they are, which is play their excellent defense, get timely three-point shooting, make their free throws, and work the ball in the paint. And if everybody is on their game tonight, I mean, recently they've had like maybe – maybe four of their five cylinders going at one time. There was a couple of games there where you you didn't have much from Michi Johnson offensively. He came back against Georgia. Then against Georgia, you didn't have B.J. Mack going well offensively. Putting it all together is what South Carolina has got to do. Clemson tonight up at the Dean Dome in Chapel Hill, where the Tigers will try to win for just the second time ever. Of course, they won. The, the bad thing, well, the good thing for Clemson basketball is that they actually won at the Dean Dome. The bad thing is that they won the uh, the same week, a couple of nights prior to the football team uh, playing LSU in the national championship in New Orleans. So, yeah, everybody noticed, I guess, but it didn't have, well, maybe it did. It might have had more impact if the Clemson football team had not been dominating the headlines up to that point. Nobody saw Clemson winning that game really at North Carolina that particular night, but the Tigers put it together and got that first win in Chapel Hill. But now they faced a North Carolina team that's playing great basketball, coming off a win over Duke and in their big rivalry game and and playing like a national contender. Meantime, Clemson's sort of a wounded animal. The Tigers lost a close win to Virginia. Last night, Virginia got a uh, impressive home win over Miami, holding Miami to like, what, 35, 38 points? They really deed up Miami last night. So losing to Virginia is no shame. Uh, losing at home is a little bit of a sting. Um, and, you know, the way the Tigers uh, came back in that game to, to make it close and have a chance to win, it's a shame for them that they could not pull it off and get things moving 
in a more positive direction. They're sort of, again, up and down, win a game, lose a game, win a game, lose a game. They can't put a, a winning streak together. Let's get more on the scene there at the Dean Dome in Chapel Hill. Matt Smith has positioned himself inside that beautiful arena. You know, I never went to Carmichael. I would have loved to have gone to Carmichael Auditorium to watch a game back in the day. I've been to the Dean Dome many times. I think it's an awe-inspiring arena with all the jerseys hanging on one side of the arena, all the retired numbers, all the history, all the great players there who have come through that program, uh, players and coaches, Smitty. Uh, it's a great site for college basketball. Absolutely. And, of course, South Carolina fans uh, know too well. They share the history with Frank McGuire as well. And it is an awe-inspiring place. Uh, I already went and paid homage to uh, the James Worthy exhibit hmm. when um, my sacrifice over there, Corn, And I came in. I, I did want to share this with Clemson fans, however. Uh, as you know, as you pointed out, Clemson has knocked off North Carolina once here at the Dean Dome, which forever was a streak that was talked about and led every story for every sports writer for a generation. But uh, I came in through where the media comes in is also where the trust fund babies file in. Mm -hmm. And I overheard some of the VIPs talking, and one said to the other, you know, they've never beaten us here. And one of the older fans said, well, actually, they did a few years ago. And then someone beside him said, ah, we don't talk about that season. So even though Clemson <laughs> has the win over North Carolina here at the Dean Smith Center, I'd say there's some North Carolina fans that don't pay proper respect to what this Clemson program has accomplished and how dangerous they can be with D.J. Hall. Yeah. P.J.'s got to have a huge game. I mean, look, P.J.'s been doing everything that he can do. He had a big game against Virginia. But he's just one man. Where do you think they've got to – They've got to pick it up uh, on the offensive side, on the defensive side. I imagine, unlike the Virginia game, which we knew going into that game Saturday, you could expect a low-scoring game because that's the way Virginia forces you to play. Conversely, tonight, you're going to have to score some points to hang with this North Carolina team. Yeah, you, you will. And I think I think the name of the game tonight for Clemson is efficiency. So North Carolina is just outstanding offensively they're really really good at getting out in transition and they also hit the offensive boards hard averaging better than 10 a game in terms of offensive rebounding 83 points a game so they can get up and down they're not necessarily elite shooting from the three-point line but they can score in bunches Clemson meanwhile I think they're going to soak the clock quite a bit so when I say efficiency is the name of the game I think Clemson's going to utilize the clock, try to make it a half-court game all night, try to hold North Carolina into single digits in transition, and then what's going to happen? The clock's going to wind down. EJ's going to get it. He's going to be double-teamed, and then he's going to kick it out. It's going to end up in the hands of a Chauncey Wiggins or a Joseph Girard or a Chase Hunter. You have to make those threes against the clock, against the shot clock tonight. You've got to make it a half-court game, and then inside those limited possessions, Clemson's just going to have to shoot a high percentage. They lost 65-55 to 55 the last time these two teams played. Corn, there's no way they beat North Carolina if they can't score 60-plus points. I would agree. Yeah, they're going to have to score in the mid to upper 70s uh, to have a chance here. And You know, I tweeted this out the other day just to kind of, kind of pick at Clemson fans because they – 
you know, they're still stewing over what they perceived was uh, illegalities by the uh, ACC officials there in Durham uh, not too long ago. Uh, now, from a fouling standpoint or being called for fouls, whether it's Carmichael, the Dean Dome, or Wooten Jim, wherever they used to play. I think it was Wooten Jim. Was that Wooten Jim way back when? Wherever the facility was in Chapel Hill. Uh, you, you know, you get reamed by the officials, not just Clemson, but anybody that goes in there for a visit, you get reamed. And I pointed out that, of course, no surprise here that North Carolina uh, leads the ACC in free throw attempts this year. And of course, they're one of the, you know, near the top in the country. Uh, in free throw attempts. Now, you got to keep in mind, though, a lot of that is because they're leading in the last five minutes of a game. And so what's the opponent trying to do to to try to catch up? If it's a relatively, you know, if they're down 10 or 12, they're going to foul. So that's one of the reasons why over the years with Clemson, you look at the the numbers. The foul shooting numbers are so lopsided in this series, it's ridiculous. But again, some of that's attributed to the fact that for most of those games, almost all of them, but most of those games, uh, Clemson was trailing. And so what are they doing? They're fouling late to try to put them on the line and get the ball back. But I do think that, um, you know, once again, if you're Clemson, knowing the history, and you can't let it get in your head, however. You, you can't let the officials be uh, three more opponents out there on the floor. You can't be thinking we're playing five against eight here. But you do also have to realize your history, not only in dealing with the players of North Carolina, but also the way the officiating typically goes against the visiting team at those those two places on Tobacco Road, maybe more so in Chapel Hill and Durham than Winston-Salem and, uh, and Raleigh. Oh, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that, Corn, and, and it may be something Brad Brownell has to address with the team because they're just coming off. That wound is still fresh with that uh, late whistle in Durham, but you're absolutely right. Uh, Clemson's not going to get a call in Durham, in Chapel Hill, or at the ACC tournament if it's held in Greensboro. I mean, does anybody disagree with that sentiment? I don't think history is going to tell us they're going to get a call there. But what they can do in this particular case is they can, as, as they slow the game down and the game is less emotional and you take the crowd out of it, then you're probably going to get fewer whistles. You said that part of the reason North Carolina leads the ACC in free throw attempts is because they're often ahead. You're right about that. But here's another factor. They're also very athletic. Mm. They are difficult to stay in front of, and that's why I think it's paramount. It's just imperative that, that Clemson cannot let North Carolina out into the open floor, and then the crowd gets into it, and then it gets emotional. And now, yeah, you bring officiating into play. If you're gonna if you're gonna defend North Carolina in transition, be ready to deal with foul trouble. Well, you got to be, of course, careful with uh, Armando Baycott inside. He is he is their weapon. But the guy who who many are kind of touting for ACC Player of the Year is R.J. Davis, their senior guard who leads the league in scoring with over 21 points per game and 14 20-point games. And he did not have a big offensive uh, game shooting-wise from the floor against Duke, but he did hit some big free throws. But he is he's really the guy you got to kind of keep under control there. Of course, like always with North Carolina, these blue blood programs, Kentucky, Duke, Kansas, a few others, Smitty, everybody you face can be a shooter. Everybody they roll out onto the court can line up and knock down a three for the most part. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. And R.J. Davis has been brilliant this year. And in the first meeting, P.J. Hall only had 10 points. That's another thing that cannot be repeated tonight. And I'm going to give Hubert Davis some credit here because there were a lot of question marks. Hubert Davis was a first-time coach. Uh, you know, when he started this three years ago, took this job at North Carolina, he actually looks like a seasoned veteran. Of course, he played in the NBA for a long time. He knows who's. But he's got his team defending the three-point line really well. How about this number? In ACC play, North Carolina is surrendering just 26.8% from the three-point line to opposition. Mm. That is outstanding, and that's another area. Clemson just can't live like that. A lot of a lot of missed three-pointers would spell disaster tonight. They've got to make North Carolina defend for 30 seconds and then take the ball out of the hoop at the end. And Hubert Davis, for whatever reason, athleticism, but he's also just got his team locked in at defending the three-point line. Some of that's luck. You know, teams will miss threes and bunches on occasion. As you said, sometimes you fall behind and you start taking ill-advised three-pointers. But it can't be denied that North Carolina has been really good at that metric this season, and that's where Clemson has struggled. Every Clemson fan knows uh, that they have not shot the ball that well from the three-point line. I think they might have to run plays tonight for Gerard and Hunter and get them some early looks and build them some confidence, and then you work P.J. Hall, and hopefully Ian Shefflin can kind of get some garbage points to, to make up the difference between North Carolina's talent and yours. Well, Shefflin had the double-double in that 10-point loss a few weeks ago. He had 16-11, and 11, but you're right. The Tigers, that game, one for 18 from three. They're not going to win with, jo- with Joseph Girard going one for 10 and 0 for 4. Um, they're not going to win P.J. Hall taking five three-pointers and missing them all. Uh, they have got to shoot it better than that. In the second half of that game, remember it was a tied game at halftime. Clemson was right there with North Carolina. But has been their want, they faded in the second half. They shot 32% in the second half. They were 1 for 10 from three-point range. Well, North Carolina in the second half of that game went 5 for 12. That's your difference right there. So Clemson's got to put together 40 minutes. Simple as that. We'll see if they can do it. Let's turn our attention to the Gamecocks. And Ole Miss tipping off in about 10 minutes at the Colonial Life Arena. Gamecocks 19-3, and 7-2, playing some really, really good basketball, high-level basketball, Smitty. They've won five in a row. And when you uh, go on the road and you win uh, four in a row on the road and five in a row overall, all in the SEC, Against, listen, you know, decent competition. I know Missouri's not having that great of a year. Arkansas has slipped. Um, Georgia's tough. Home and away, Georgia's tough. Uh, those are all good wins, Kentucky. But, of course, beating Tennessee at their place when Tennessee was ranked number five, and to do so in a very solid way. They didn't back their way into that win. That was no accident. And beating Georgia last time out in Athens by 10, and pulling away at the end, that was no accident. They went out and took that game. They're playing high-level basketball right now. Now you got to do it as a number 15 team in the country when the eyes of the nation will be watching. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's different uh, to be the hunter and the hunted, right? And South Carolina suddenly finds themselves the prey uh, against an Ole Miss team that's just played well. Uh, you know, I I had not been tracking Ole Miss, and you mentioned to me yesterday, said, well, hell, you know, Chris Beard's turned them around, and I trust Chris Beard 
to coach good defenses, but also Ole Miss has just been doing it in all areas uh, during this recent run that they've had. So this is going to be another test for South Carolina. It will, it absolutely won't be easy. And I think you, what you've said is right, Corn. I wonder if this team isn't due almost to just have a, a, one of those kind of blowout games in a, where they can't keep the intensity up because they've had so many games. How many games recently, Corn, has South Carolina been – locked in for 40 minutes, giving it everything they've got, possession to possession, even if the game wasn't close at the end because they were on the road or because they were playing a highly ranked team. I mean, these games have been exhausting to watch. I can't imagine what it's been like for the guys. I mean, how much does Leachy Johnson or B.J. Mack have left in their legs right now with this run they've been on? That's a good, uh, good point. You, when you When you play at a high level like this, over almost a three-week period, uh, how much has it taken out of you? Well, these are young guys. You got to think that uh, the moment is not too big for them because they're older guys. You know, they're starting guys who have who have been around quite a bit. You got two grad students in Cooper and Max starting. Of course, Johnson's a junior, but he's played a lot of basketball. Uh, Zachary Davis is playing more basketball. He's a junior. Uh, and then you got Murray Boyles in the starting lineup. Now he's a freshman, but he plays older than his his class would indicate. He's playing with a, a lot of maturity, um, so you you would think that they'll be able to handle uh, the moment and at home with w- what will be you know I, I would imagine pretty close to a, a full house for this one and a loud enthusiastic uh, crowd. Rise of the occasion. And, you know, off the bench, the other thing to remember, too, this Gamecock team has been getting some good minutes off the bench. Of course, Jacoby Wright has been solid all season. Now you've got Studi coming off the bench with his uh, with his recent injury. That's another one who gives you a real good experience uh, coming off the bench. Um, then you've got, um, you've got Yugosuk, who's been playing more minutes and giving them some good time off the bench. And then Josh Gray has been fantastic. So they've almost got a complete second lineup coming in off the bench. Let me correct myself. I thought that um, I thought that Davis was a sophomore. They've got him in the starting lineup on their game notes listed as a junior, but he's a sophomore as I look at his bio. He's a sophomore. Make sure I get that right. So they've really almost got two complete starting units that uh, Lamont Paris can roll in and out, which is good. You can take some minutes off some guys and let them rest those legs a little bit. But they can't rest tonight because this Ole Miss team comes in averaging 77 points. They they score a lot. They give up a lot. They give up 72. They're scoring 77. They're making 46%. They're making a 39% from three, which is 13th best in the country. They, uh, as I mentioned, they're very good defensively as far as turning you over. They're one of the best teams in the country. Uh in steals per game, almost nine steals per game. That's 35th in the country. So ball handling, getting out on the shooters is going to be uh, will be key tonight for the Gamecocks, Smitty. But um, if they get this one, then they got a few days to kind of relax, rest up for Vanderbilt, a, a struggling Vanderbilt team coming to Columbia. You could wake up on uh, on Monday morning when the polls come out, two more wins, 21 wins overall. You might be talking about a team knocking on the door to the top ten. Yeah, and also, Corn. I wonder if there's, you know, I talked about how this run must be exhausting. Is there extra motivation to go ahead? Is anybody talking about it, you know, around the club? 
get to, get to 20 victories in front of the home fans. Get to 20 and go ahead and, and get that uh, under your belt, which would be, as you've hey, you covered South Carolina basketball for a long time, 20 victories is not a given. 20 victories is nothing to sneeze at. And, uh, you know, when they, when they play teams like Kentucky and Tennessee and they get those wins, you want to make those count by going ahead and continuing the victory. And you talked about having two units and also ball handling being at a, at a premium. I will tell you, I have been dazzled by Talon Cooper all season. He played the first half of the season, you know, a lot like Jason Kidd, where he was just a floor general like Avery Johnson and just making sure everybody was involved. And here recently in moments, he's been outstanding in terms of knocking down big threes, driving the basket and getting points when they need to, getting to the foul line. He's been excellent from there. I, I, Cooper has just been an absolute catalyst for them. And I think, it, as you mentioned, Ole Miss likes to turn you over. Let Cooper handle it. He's a great ball handler, and you're, you're practically playing with two point guards when you have he and Michi Johnson on the floor at the same time. I think that could be key. If those two can give you minutes, give you quality minutes, and stay on the floor tonight, Ole Miss is going to have a tough time turning South Carolina over when they've got the ball in their hands. And I see where South Carolina announced uh, about a half hour ago the game is a sellout. So they'll have 18,000 in there tonight. That's great for the men's program to get a sellout against a team that's not uh, Duke or Clemson or, or Kentucky in their own league or Tennessee. That's, that's excellent. And you know what? They keep on winning. I don't see why they won't sell out the rest of their home games because they've got a fairly attractive schedule uh, the rest of the way at home when you consider they still have to play at home. You know, Vanderbilt, but that's a Saturday afternoon. That should draw a huge crowd. Then LSU will be a big attraction at home. And then Florida and Tennessee. So you could be looking at a string of sold-out houses for the Gamecocks to close out uh, the regular season at home. Uh, Chris Bergen is going to join us at the bottom of the hour. He's in Louisiana with Coastal Carolina. A couple of other things, Smitty, before we hit the bottom of the hour break. First of all, here it is, the eve of the February signing day, and I feel nothing. Usually I'm, 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 what am I on, on the day before signing day? I'm. I'm a wreck. You know, you've been chasing players all over the place and you're getting ready for signing day and you've got the suspense of who's doing it. There's nothing. There's nothing. I mean, Clemson is just done, and I'm pretty sure South Carolina's done. I don't think they're going to spring any surprises on us that, that I know about, have seen or heard. So it will go silently by at those locations. Now, other schools around the state tomorrow will have signings. You know, they got – they don't sign as many in December as South Carolina and Clemson do. Many other schools around the state will have signings tomorrow. Uh, we'll have that for you on the show tomorrow night. But, gosh, it's just it's just weird not to be running around like a chicken with its head cut off here on the eve of National Sign Day. Then the other thing to get your quick thoughts on, may have to hold you over to uh, on your thoughts to the next half hour. Uh, so today uh, in Columbia, committee of the State House. Uh, took up the NIL question for the state of South Carolina. They heard from uh, Lamont Paris, Don Staley, uh, Dabo Sweeney, uh, 
Shane Beamer and others, you know, requesting that the state government uh, enact laws that would work in their best interest, the school's best interest, when it comes to uh, the NIL space, as they like to call it, and would allow the schools to work more directly with their with their students who are in school. This hasn't this doesn't have to do with high school prospects. This has to do with the players who are in school already and working directly with them and helping them uh, land their NIL deals and educate them on NIL, basically phasing out, the way I understand it, sort of phasing out the outside collectives that sprang up when NIL became part of the, the college landscape. So it's something that they took to the legislature. The good news, while they were doing that, the legislature could not raise our taxes. So that's a good thing. We appreciate the coaches going in there and distracting. They ran out the clock on them. Yeah, those money-sucking, uh, you know, buzzards in the state house. We appreciate the uh, the coaches going in there and distracting them for at least a little bit. I'll get your thoughts on that, and Bergie will join us as well. We'll be back after this bottom of the hour break. All right, welcome back, everybody. Sports Talk here on the Sports Talk Media Network. Phil Kornblut here in Columbia. Matt Smith up in Chapel Hill. Smitty, did you dress like a Tar Heel? Did you did you wear khakis and boat shoes and uh, a button-down long sleeve shirt with the sleeves rolled up and walked in with a little glass of wine no, and not. some cheese, cheese in uh, one hand and, and wine in the other? Yeah, you know, and they, they do have a certain look going here. There's no doubt about that. Um, and I do not have do not have Argyle socks on, and I don't have, for some reason, they all wear their golf belts out in public, too, you know, not just at the course. They've all got those white golf belts on tonight as well. Hmm. Very catchy, very catchy. Uh, all right, um, let's welcome in Chris Bergen. Chris is in Louisiana. He's got Coastal Carolina basketball tomorrow night so we welcome him into sports talk for the next uh, little while as long as he can hang with us while the Chanticleers are practicing tonight good to have you with us how was your trip same here it was long but not as long as the uh, comeback home from Marshall which took eight hours on Saturday night on into Sunday but no it wasn't bad I actually got to listen to sports talk last night because we flew into uh, Jackson Mississippi out of uh, Myrtle Beach through Charlotte and into Jackson and the bus two hours here to Monroe. There's not really a good airport close to Monroe, Louisiana, mm. that handles uh, commercial traffic. There are a small regional airport, but don't think it could handle uh, most planes that would want to come in here. So I got to listen to you guys last night uh, on the ride over after it went up on our, our podcast forum. So that was nice. Enjoyed the show last evening. I appreciate that. I'm glad that we had somebody listening to us uh, driving across the state. Maybe we helped you helped you to stay awake. Uh our phone number, by the way, 888-898-2525. That is the South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number for you here on Sports Talk. They're underway at the uh, Colonial Life Arena in Columbia. And, of course, the the stat tracker is not working. So I'm looking for a score. Anybody seen a score? I see one right here. Seven to four Gamecocks. <laughs> it's not working out in Louisiana 
if that makes you feel any better. Yeah. So, yeah, we're not. It's, it's broken everywhere. That broadcast is not working. ESPN's <laughs> scoreboard, they have a they have a game time, as in, like, how much time is left in the first half. Here we go. Finally updated. Gamecocks are up 9-8. to 9-8, eight. Eight, uh, 15-54 to go in the first half there. So a tight start to this one between the, the Gamecocks and the Rebels, now 11-8. to eight. Apparently the Gamecocks knocked down another basket, so they're up 11-8. to eight. Uh, uh, Bergie, that's pretty fast early pace in this one, not even five minutes in, 11-8, 19 points scored between the two teams. Probably a little bit faster than the Gamecocks would like to play. They they normally would like to uh, sort of live in that area of uh, between 65 and 75 points. I think that's their comfort zone. And as you guys, you and Smitty, were talking before the uh, bottom of the hour break about Ole Miss and their ability to turn you over. I think that's one advantage the Gamecocks have is really, really good guard play, and they don't turn it over all that often, averaging, what, right around 11 turnovers a ball game. But I think Ole Miss would like to get it up and down and maybe try to get the game in the 80s. I don't think that's where South Carolina wants to live. But one thing about listening to you guys last night, I was fascinated by the discussion about where the Gamecocks are and how many extra wins you think they might get in the whole nine yards. But I never heard the pertinent point brought up last night. And I don't think it was overlooked. I just think it's a situation where Gamecock fans don't even think about this right now. This is a team, their one goal right now, Phil, should not be 25 wins. Their one goal right now should not be worrying about what seed they're going to be in the NCAA tournament. How about go win the SEC? They've got that right at their fingertips. They're a game all first place. Now, Auburn's the team that scares me the most if you're a Gamecock fan, not Alabama. I think Auburn probably wins tomorrow against Alabama. And Alabama's going to lose another game or two. They've still got to play Kentucky, so their schedule is not easy, just like South Carolina's. But the Gamecocks are in the similar boat they were in back in 97 when they won the league. That was the last time they won five, six, seven, eleven 11 games in a row in conference play. I think that should be the goal for them. Don't you guys? I mean, they should not worry about getting into the NCAA tournament because obviously you win the SEC, you're in. They shouldn't have to worry about how many wins they need to get. I think that should be their sole focal point. Obviously play, you know, game to game, but they should be looking at an opportunity, guys. It doesn't come around here once every 20, 25 years. Mm-hmm. Let's go win the SEC. I think while you, you've got it within your grasp, right now you only trail Alabama and you're tied with Auburn, and you're going to face Auburn next week down there. But, yeah, if you've got a chance to – to grab the ring, why not go ahead and, and grab the ring, and then everything else will just be icing on the cake. The SEC exactly. tournament and then the NCAA tournament, you can go on from there. You're right, winning championships for South Carolina on the men's side, that is a uh, not an everyday occurrence for them. So I agree with you. If you got a chance to win it, go get it. Meantime, the Gamecocks have spurted here. They're up 16-10. to 10. They're up 16-10 to 10 at the 13-minute mark of the first half. And see if I can find any stats on this thing. Again, the stat broadcast that media rely on not working and data is currently unavailable on the ESPN Gamecast. Except we can tell you 16 to 10. And this is at the first media timeout from what yeah. I just saw. So, I mean, they, those guys are probably dragging their, their tongues or probably hanging out of their mouths going that deep into the first half without getting a break. No, you're right. Uh, you get that first under-16 media timeout. That means there have been no substitutions since, uh, unless there were a couple of early, and usually coaches don't go to their bench 
until their first media timeout unless there's some early foul trouble. So you try and get that first four or five minutes in with your starters, and then you start making your rotations and your substitutions. So my guess is the five guys that started the ball game finally got a break six and a half minutes in. Yeah. And in a high-octane, up-tempo type game, yeah, there's, there's not a whole lot of breaks going on right now. So, yeah, I would think both teams were going to look like a hockey line change for each of them. I would imagine Chris Beard and Lamont Paris are going to bring in two, three guys uh, f- calling, uh, excuse me, coming out of that timeout. And how do you not have stat broadcast working? I mean, seriously. I, I don't get that. Your top I, 15 I really team, whether you're a top 15 team, your top 300 team, how can you not have your stat broadcast? I don't know if that's on stat broadcast in or something local in the arena. Uh, you know, good gracious, you got to have that working. All right, let's go to the other. 6.30 start. 6.30 start, Corn. nothing goes right. Well, that's true. Maybe the guy who was supposed Eight. to run it got stuck in traffic. Uh, let me give you 18,000 fans in there. Maybe somebody stepped on the cord. Could have been. And pulled it out, too. All right, other basketball tonight besides the games we're concerned with. you got Wake Forest at Georgia Tech, Florida State at Boston College, Kentucky plays at Vanderbilt uh, later on tonight, and uh, we have also got anything else later tonight. Worth noting, um, I think that's it as far as SEC, ACC play is concerned. Of course, as I mentioned last night, Virginia got a nice dominating win over Miami. All right, let's go back to, um, Smitty, what I was talking about before the break. Uh, NIL, Beamer, Sweeney, and others going in front of this uh, committee at the State House to, you know, make their quote-unquote argument on why they need to uh, approve legislation to give the schools uh, more control, direct control over NIL uh, activities for athletes already in school. I really don't know. I mean, okay, fine, you know, pass whatever legislation you're going to pass. I I think it'll, you know, whatever legislation they draw up, they will pass it without any uh, anything, any, any, any no votes, I would think. This should be something that every legislature, every legislator in South Carolina – should be behind because it's what the schools need to be uh, competitive with their rivals when it comes to recruiting, even though we all know NIL is not used in the recruiting side of things, right? <clears throat> so to give them that chance, whether it's recruiting-wise or not, they've got to have the the go-ahead from, from the state legislature, some state codification that says, you know, uh, you can do this. You don't have to worry about NCAA backlash. You take care of your business from an NIL standpoint. Yeah, and I'd like to know, so if the headline is that coaches are urging lawmakers to pass a law allowing their schools to directly compensate athletes, and I I don't know what that means for, like, the Garnet Trust of Carolina Rise. I don't know if that knocks them out of the equation or if then they only can deal with high school students. And also the other question I have is, what are the other states doing? Is anybody ahead of the state of South Carolina and are other colleges at an advantage and universities at an advantage that Beamer and Staley and Sweeney aren't right now? Or is, is this is this going on across the nation simultaneously where they're trying to get the state lawmakers to pass the same law in all 50 states? Yeah, uh, it hasn't hit all 50 states, but it's sort of like, uh, uh, Chris, it's sort of like the gambling thing where gradually across the country, state by state has approved gambling bills that allows you to to gamble now without any repercussions. 
the NIL legislation has moved from state to state. Remember, it started, I think, out in California. Then I think Florida did it and Texas did it and everybody. Then it became uh, – and this isn't the first time these coaches have gone to the legislature. That's why I don't think this – it's not like it's new news. They've gone in front of these people before and said, hey, we've got to keep up with the Joneses here and we've got to have the ability to compete in the NIL game and we've got to have the backing, we've got to have the laws in the state that would protect us from any sort of NCAA policing of this. That's the whole idea here is to, is to create a buffer between the schools and the NCAA so they can do what's necessary in the NIL world to, to keep their current players happy. I mean, for example, I'm sure you maybe, you, maybe you saw this, but the quarterback at Georgia today, Beck, um, took a picture in front of, and it was written underneath the picture that he was, as an NIL deal, he just had received a Lamborghini. I think it cost about, did I read where it was, about $300,000 or $280,000? And that's an NIL deal being done with some high-end car dealership, either in Atlanta or Athens. I didn't read all that. Carson Beck. So the funny thing is, too, Chris, when they do these deals, I love how they trot these guys out in front of the cameras uh, and, and say, hey, look what our NIL deal got. We're giving our quarterback a Lamborghini. Don't you wish you were him? You know, yet everything else is done in silence behind the scenes when it comes to the using NIL from a recruiting standpoint. Uh, when you ask for transparency, you get nothing, except when there's a big deal that they can promote to say, hey, look, we're playing the NIL game. Our quarterback has a Lamborghini. Does yours? <laughs> It's a fair point, and, and you're right. It's it would be political suicide for anybody in the Columbia State House to deny this opportunity and and vote against an NIL bill. I, I could see the headlines now. Phil Cornblut, representative for Lexington County, decided this was in the bad interest of college athletics. How quickly you think you'd be voted out? <laughs> I mean, it, obviously, it's the guys and gals in in the state house trying to keep their jobs. But I did find it interesting that not only was Dabo Sweeney there and Shane Beamer was at the State House today, Tim Beck from Coastal Carolina was there as well. So all three of the FBS coaches were there. Mm-hmm. How much do you think Tim Beck's looking at this situation and thinking, yeah, we may be playing on the same level, so to speak, but there's no way I get the same regard, the same money, the same opportunities that Shane Beamer has at South Carolina and Dabo Sweeney has at Clemson. I mean, you're bringing the, all three of the guys together, and they're not playing on the same level to begin with, mm-hmm. much less are we behind the eight ball with regards to pay for play. Yeah, exactly right. It's not a level playing field. And it won't be until what will happen. And the other thing about NIL, of course, it's going to be a moot point because after what we saw with Dartmouth yesterday, that's going to spread like wildfire. You're not going to need NIL. NIL is just a cover-up. It's just another way for the colleges to be able to, to, to pay the players without saying they're paying the players. That's about to end because after what the NLRB regional director ruled yesterday as it pertained to the Dartmouth basketball team, and I want to go back to that real quick because I didn't have a chance to really think it all the way clearly through yesterday. When I was just thinking about the big boys, this affects everybody because Dartmouth is not a big boy. Dartmouth is a non-scholarship Ivy League program. So the NLRB manager there ruled that a, a, a basketball team that doesn't even get scholarships, those guys are viewed as employees. 
So what's he going to think about Notre Dame and Michigan, Ohio State, South Carolina, Clemson, schools like that, where you do have scholarships and everything else that you get with those scholarships? So he's ruled that even the non-scholarship guys at a place like Dartmouth, you have to look at as employees, you have to pay them. And you have to negotiate with their union, which they will vote to join. So this is going to spread. This is going to spread like wildfire. And NIL will be, there'll be no reason for NIL because you're going to be paying the guys a salary. And then they'll be represented by agents who will go out and get their advertising deals on the side. So NIL is going to be dead in a couple years anyway. I think you're right, and I think the more fascinating question about this is when the United Auto Workers go on strike, the guys who put the tires on are standing on the picket line with the guys who also put in the windshields. How in the world is a union going to work in college athletics where you have beach volleyball also standing alongside the football players? Are they all going to be equitable? Because that's what a union is supposed to do, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to pay, if I'm going to pay Carson Beck $4 million to keep him at Georgia – don't I then in turn also have to figure out a way to pay $4 million at the University of Georgia to my second baseman who starts for our baseball team and also our starting pitcher on softball? I, that's going to be a fascinating discussion to watch because unions, are their, their main goal is first off to try and get more money, but also to keep everybody equitable within the union. Well, I just don't know how that's going to work in college athletics. We're going to go to break. You bring up a good question. I'm going to answer it from where I sit and get Smitty's take on it as well. Smitty's going to get uh, overrun with crowd noise in just a couple of minutes uh, unless Clemson gets off to a 20 to nothing run and hushes the crowd. So we'll, nice. uh, we'll pick back up on that after the break. In the meantime, I'll tell you, South Carolina up 30 to 19. Both teams are shooting 75% thus far. Be right back. When trouble comes like the accidents do, we all get sick and the bills pile too. There's only one number that can help see you through. And if you're healthy, here's what you should do. Call 605-7905. That's the number that you need to know. 605-7905. Zero dollar deductible. What's a deductible, you say? That's the price you have to pay before the insurance will say we'll help you. They keep that number out of reach because they know that you won't reach that number because they know you're healthy. 605-7905. Zero dollar deductible. 605-7905. 727 is the area code. This is Lisa Hostetler-Brown. If you or a loved one are over 65 and haven't completed a long-term care planning consultation, now is the time. Did you know that if you aren't able to afford the high cost of skilled care, your assets can be rapidly depleted to only $2,000 unless you plan five years in advance? Visit LawyerLisa.com to see how we can help. 7511 St. Andrews Road, Irmo, South Carolina. Hi, yes, uh, I'll have the club sandwich and house salad. You got it, sweetie. I'll throw in a pair of designer sunglasses as well. Um, just lunch, thanks. How about a week at my boss's oceanfront villa? What? When you join the South Carolina 
Carolina Education Lottery's Players Club, you get way more than you expect. More chances, more wins, and more surprises. Today's special, a trip to low Earth orbit in a private spaceship. Join the Players Club at seeducationlottery.com because more happens here. George Bryant for Tsunami Bar Sports, our inventor. David Abernathy has always said Tsunami Bar technology allows us to take the training to the grass. Now I know through my sport of golf that natural agility can be converted to athletic ability. And why is this, Tsunami Robbie? Transferring the training to the grass. This may be the most undervalued characteristic of the Tsunami Flexible Bar technology. The Tsunami Bar action loads and unloads at the concentric and eccentric transition points. This is what we call reversal forces. And the Tsunami Bar is the only bar and training device that I know of that can train these reversal forces adequately at speed. Hey, this is Phil Kornblut. The Tsunami Bar is a terrific training device whether you're working on your fitness or your golf game. It's convenient, it's easy to use, and you won't feel beat up afterwards. Be sure to click on the digital ad on sportstalksc.com and get 5% off any order using promo code BBB5. Don't wait. Order today. All right, Gamecocks have been putting on a three-point shooting clinic so far. They're up 33-23, media timeout, 6.45 in the half. Seven of 12 from three-point land. Studi, three of three from three. Leaves the Gamecocks with nine. Murray Boyles, three for three from the floor. He's got six. Um, Cooper, two for three with a three. He's got five. Davis got five. Uh, Michi Johnson's got a three for three. The Gamecocks are shooting 68%. Ole Miss, very fortunate. They're shooting 73%. They're 11 of 15, but they're only one of two from three. So the Gamecocks are obviously defending uh, pretty well on the perimeter, but Ole Miss does have 12 points in the paint. So that's kind of where they're making up for a team that normally is very good from shooting from the outside. And the Gamecocks with 10 assists on their 13 baskets. Chris, that's, that is that um, is one of the – I mean, to me, that's the most eye-popping thing about this team, the way they share the basketball, the way they roll up those number of assists. I thought you guys that I mentioned I was listening to the show last night. I thought you and Pat had a fascinating discussion about that, and I agree with you. And I think you find unselfish basketball teams are usually pretty good defensive teams, and that's exactly what U.S. is. Not really on display here in this first half, but the Gamecocks win. I think he wanged out on us. You wanged out on us. Well, I'll reconnect as soon as you can, or we'll come back to you in just a moment. Uh, There you go. Are you back with us? I was going to say, and on defense, you get to a point you don't care who gets credit for it. You just try and make sure that your man doesn't score. And that's why they, I think they play so well defensively, and then it translates with how well they distribute the basketball on the offensive end. Go back to Smitty and Chapel Hill. Uh, Smitty, the Tigers making a change in the starting lineup tonight. Yeah, so Jack Clark will step in, and Chauncey Wiggins uh, is not starting, but uh, – I would guess he's just coming off the bench. That could be to combat something North Carolina is doing, something Brad Brownell picked up in the film from their first meeting. 
Uh, Clark was remember was four to close the game against Virginia as well. He missed that last three pointer. So instead of going down low to PJ Hall, maybe to uh, Hunter opted to, to hit a Clark, hit Clark who was open for three. So let's sit, let's keep an eye on that early, and I'll keep an eye on Wiggins to see if he's hobbled or if this is just a strategic move for Brownell. All right, let's go back to uh, our conversation we were having before the break. We're talking about well, as I've Gave my thoughts at the very end. I think NIL is just a matter of time as the, the 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 laws of the land as it regards college athletics change now after what came down yesterday, guys. I I don't see a very long future with this current arrangement of uh, NIL. Chris, what do you think? I think you're right. It's not something I really considered until I read that Dartmouth story about the uh, the unionization coming to college athletics and i think at some point in time we all see that's coming down the road so if they're paying you directly there's no reason for the uh, kids to have to go out and promote their name image and likeness which i'm not even sure they've been doing anyway which was the initial reason that it was uh, passed through the courts and you know sort of thrown on us as athletic fans that here's what they're going to be able to do all right that's fine they want to go out and promote their name image and likeness that's great if they can sell their jerseys and get a percentage of the jersey sales or go out and do commercials i think that's awesome how many of those have we actually seen I mean, I, I don't know that, that that's anywhere close to what we're getting. It's it's strictly pay for play. And as I mentioned a week or so ago, I hope when we get new legislation, they'll just take the name, image, and likeness moniker out of there. And you want to talk about transparency, Phil, let's call it for what it is. Let's start being truthful with people around the country and say, look, we're paying these athletes because of the amount of money they bring in. I don't know that the average fan is going to be all that upset about that. Just be honest with us. And let me go back to what you uh, something you brought up. And here's what I think. You talk about unions and unions negotiating on behalf of their clients, and they do, but they don't necessarily negotiate for equality across the board. I mean, look at your baseball union and look at your contracts for your Major League Baseball players. You know, you got you got one guy's going to be making, you know, $300 million a year. Somebody else is going to be making $25 million a year. Somebody else is going to be making $5 million a year. So... Yeah, same thing can happen with the colleges. Your quarterbacks are going to make the big bucks. They'll probably make what what one and a half, two million a year. But your right tackle might pull in about fifty-five thousand based on his own negotiations. Be right back after the break. Welcome back to Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. You can reach the guys with the South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number. 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now back to Phil, Chris, and Pat with the second hour of Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. All right, welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. Sports Talk here on the Sports Talk Media Network. Phil Cornblute, Chris Bergen. Bergie's in Louisiana. Josh Cohen behind the scenes handling the production tonight. Matt Smith up in Chapel Hill, where he is watching Clemson at North Carolina. They got underway a couple of minutes ago in Berge. The Tigers on a a 13-0 run. 13-0 run. They are leading North Carolina 15-2, and they forced the Tar Heels to burn a timeout before the media timeout uh, at 16-32. Clemson is up 15-2 on North Carolina. And Hall's got six. Gerard's got five. Tigers are six of seven from the floor. I mean, if they could just frame this and call it a night, they would right now. 
Um, <laughs> no doubt. North Carolina, 0 for their last five, a scoring drought of 249. We'll talk about that in a second. Meantime, South Carolina holding a 37-28 lead over Ole Miss, 329 to go in the half. Both teams still playing high-level offense, 65% shooting for the Gamecocks, and they're 7 of 13 for three, 62% shooting for Ole Miss. They're still only one for two from a three-point range, but um, the teams have battled even inside at 14-14 in the paint. So uh, that's been a standoff. The Gamecocks with a nine-point lead, and, and, and Bergie Clemson with a 13-point lead. The Gamecocks and Tigers feel combined 21 of 30 from the floor. That's pretty good. That is. <laughs> you, and you're in a situation now, if you're South Carolina, you've got to find a way to close out the half. You feel like you need to have a double-digit lead because that's what you've been playing with for much of this opening half. And if Ole Miss is able to chip it away and get it down to, say, five or six by halftime, Chris Beard and his staff would feel really, really fortunate to be the where they are. And now the Tigers have put themselves in a position you've just got to find a way to maintain. You know North Carolina is going to make multiple runs at you. But for them to start like this, and you kind of joked about it with us being able to talk to Smitty if Clemson came out and scored a 12 nothing start. Uh, that's basically what they've done. But North Carolina is so good on defense, and they are really, really good on offense. They're going to make a run at Clemson, and the, and the question is, can they withstand and find a way? Well, a good way to do this is to continue to score, which, which they're doing. Well, and listen, complete opposite of their game with Virginia the other day where the Tigers trailed by 11 and trailed for most of the second half before they took a lead, and then Virginia went back on top, and then we know how it finished with Clemson having a chance and – not getting off uh, the best shot, maybe. Here, here's the thing for Clemson. Now it's 17-4, to a 15-2 to run, and we all know. You know every Clemson fan who's watching this is like, okay, how are we going to blow this one tonight? I mean, look, basketball is a game of runs. Clemson's having theirs right now. You know North Carolina. I'm a little surprised North Carolina. I don't know if they've come out sluggish or just what. I mean, hangover from the Duke win. I don't think there would be a hangover from a Duke win. I would think you'd be on a very big high and would pick it up from where you left off in that game and come out and play with your hair on fire. You would think, but uh, again, you're talking about teenagers and uh, their biggest rival, clearly, they just hammered at home and played really, really well. And then they see Clemson rolling in. And let's face it, no matter how good Clemson is in basketball, North Carolina is going to look down their noses at them and say, this is a football school rolling in here. We should have no problem. And I guarantee they, they weren't ready to go. And, you know, R.J. Davis, who is probably maybe the best player in the ACC, certainly one of the best players on the floor has come out 0 for 3. Mm. Now, you look at their starting lineup, I mean, they're just not getting the scoring they normally do. But it will come. And when it comes and that crowd starts to get back in the ball game, does Clemson have enough on the defensive end of the floor to be able to stop them and get enough stops? I mean, we're still talking about 35 minutes left to go in this game. Hard to think about playing possession by possession. But you could not have asked for a better start if you're Brad Brownell. But the question is, can you maintain it? Yeah. That is the question. Can you keep it going? 17-4 to at the media timeout up there in Chapel Hill, 43-31. This is a, um, a faster-paced game that, uh, than I thought that uh, – well, of course, I guess maybe South Carolina felt like they were going to have to match Ole Miss's pace, and they've done that and more to uh, open up this 12-point lead. The Gamecocks are just shooting the ball great, 18-27, of 7-13, they have not taken a free throw. 
Uh, there have not been many rebounds for them to go and get. They they are out rebounding Ole Miss ten to eight, uh, and again twelve assists, twelve assists on eighteen made baskets. Now they've been averaging over nineteen assists per game during this winning streak. They they're going to obliterate that uh, by midway through the second half. They keep up this shoot. Now to get assists, obviously you got to have shooting, right? You're not going to get assists unless the ball's going into the basket. And the Gamecocks right now, they're relying pretty heavily on their outside shooting. 21 of their points have come on threes. They've only had one dunk. And they do have 14 points off of layup. So they're getting some good inside looks, and they're knocking down the outside shot. What more could you ask for if you're Lamont Paris? (laughs) No halftime. Just put 20 minutes back on the clock. Let's keep going. Because the worst thing that's going to happen to USC, and quite frankly for Ole Miss, I mean, Ole Miss is shooting well enough right now to be up by 10, not down by 12. Problem is they can't stop the Gamecocks who are shooting 67% for the field. Worst thing that's going to happen for these two offenses is halftime to give them both a chance to cool off because neither one of them, I'm sure, wants to go to the locker room right now. Here's a breaking story related to NIL and the law. For a rare time, the NCAA comes out on the winning side. A judge sides with the NCAA, denies State of Tennessee's temporary restraining order request in NIL lawsuit. A federal judge denied a request from the states of Tennessee and Virginia for a temporary restraining order. We call that a TRO in the uh, legal world. That would have halted the NCAA from enforcing NIL recruiting guidelines. The ruling comes one week after attorney generals from the two states filed a federal antitrust lawsuit. The two states claim that the NCAA violated antitrust laws by denying athletes their ability to earn full NIL compensation. Though Judge Clifton Corker's decision provides an early victory for the NCAA, his comments may paint a bleaker picture for the organization's long-term standing in the legal battle This is written by CBSSports.com. Corker said he believes the state's case will, quote, likely, end quote, succeed based on federal antitrust statutes going as far as to say current NIL regulations, quote, likely foster economic exploitation of student athletes, end quote. So temporary victory, I guess you could say, for the NCAA, something they can celebrate with a cup of coffee tonight, but... Down the road, they're not expected to have this kind of success. It just occurred to me, what if the folks at the NCAA said, look, we've had enough of this mess. We're going to do what Jeff Halfley did. We're going to close up shop and let you guys just go and do whatever you want to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, if if literally the NCAA shut down tomorrow, would college athletics be in a worse place than it is right now? Uh, I mean, you need some leadership, and I think that leadership is going to come from Greg Sankey. Uh, the SEC and the Big Ten, so you know, they've got leadership. Yeah, yeah, it's going to come from there. The way I see it, you know, this this summit those two are having, the SEC and, and Big Ten folks headed by their commissioners, that summit I think is going to lead to some um, suggestions or mm-hmm. some blueprints for a new organization or a new or new organizational type that fits what they're looking for today, which is some sort of professional 
alignment within the college education system. How do you have these guys as employees while also being students? And I guess you can do that. I guess you can figure out a way to pay them while also uh, requiring them. I don't know what you can require them to do. I mean, again, if they're employees, now, unless you get some antitrust exemptions that allow you to put in your own regulations, like uh, I guess the pro leagues have these antitrust exemptions which allow them to put in some things um, that allow them to oversee the athletes and kind of kind of keep them in check in some ways. I mean, I guess you sign a contract, you sign a contract with a team, but I guess you're able to cut them under antitrust exemptions. You're able to, to, to maybe – is that covered by that, the fact you can cut a player – um, do something in the contract where you pay them off. I, I don't know. I don't know how it all works, to be quite honest with you. I was absent that day they taught uh, antitrust <laughs> law in law school. I slept through it. But you see my point. I think they're going to they're, they're gonna try and come up with some kind of an organization that works within that, uh, that world where you're employed, where you've got representation, where you negotiate your salary like you would if you were working for Hardee's. And um, but you also have to do this. You also have to sign a contract and you just can't you just can't up and decide I don't want to play in the bowl game. I mean, that's in your contract, right? You're going to play. I would imagine the contract requires you to play for every game that they play if you're healthy. So you can't opt out of a bowl game. And um, so I think that would be part of it as well. You got to come to work every day and meet your work requirements to get paid. That's kind of what I see. Just like a real job. I mean, we don't get paid here if we don't show up and do the show. So I I think it would be the same thing. More curious, or at least more fascinating aspect, uh, is this going to also signify the end of athletic scholarships? Because I don't see the need for them if they are now employees of the university being paid directly by the university. You're not going to then throw on top of that an athletic scholarship, are you, to cover their school? Are you going to require them? to pay for their own college education or just not charge them or just not charge them. Uh, maybe you don't do that. I mean, maybe they get college education for free. I mean, that's going to be part of the deal. You know, it's going to be part of the deal. Yeah. You know, it's like major league baseball when they draft a kid out of high school. Yeah. We'll pay you, you know, a signing bonus of two and a half million. And if you decide to go back to college, we'll pay for your three years of college or whatever. They do that all the time in those contracts. So no, I can't see them ever getting out of not paying for the, for the for the education in one way or another and not covering their health care and everything else that they've been getting, which is why I always argue the athletes on scholarship have gotten things. They've been paid oh, yeah. in a certain way. But obviously the judges and the courts don't believe that's uh, equivalent to the amount of money that the schools are making off of, off of their labor, the way they look at it. So, okay, they're at halftime, and South Carolina leads Ole Miss 43-31. Gamecocks are shooting 62%. Ole Miss is shooting 56%. The Gamecocks do not have anybody in double figures, but Studi's got nine, and Murray Boyles has got eight. Murray and Flanagan have 10 each for Ole Miss. North Carolina, Clemson, it's 20-12. to 12. Clemson won for their last seven, 12-28 to go in the half. North Carolina starting to cut into that early advantage hall has nine for the tigers who are shooting 53 percent be right back 
We're with Major Billy Downer of the Department of Natural Resources. Major Downer, let's say I'm out in the woods or I'm on the water and I need to reach a DNR agent. How do I do that? Operation Game Thief, Phil. It's been around 30 plus years. You can call us at our 24-hour hotline any time of day, 1-800-922-5431. To report wildlife violations or to get help if you're in trouble in the woods or on the water, call us at Operation Game Thief, 1-800-922-5431. Last year was a big year for Founders Federal Credit Union and our amazing members. A total of $30 million was given back to qualifying members in the form of loyalty bonus dividends, proving once again that it pays to be a Founders member. Founders is also committed to pouring time and resources into the local communities we serve. If you aren't a member yet, what are you waiting for? Join Founders today. Visit foundersfcu.com. Federally insured by NCUA. Membership qualification required. I'm attorney Jim Corbett. That's the sound of a big hit on you and your car or truck. I've been an attorney for more than 30 years, helping people who get injured in car wrecks and truck wrecks. If you have serious injuries, call Jim Corbett, 803-765-2968, or email me at jim at jimcorbettattorney.com. That's C-O-R-B-E-T-T. I don't get paid unless I recover for you. Jim Corbett Attorney, for your best recovery from a big hit, 803-765-2968, or jim at jimcorbettattorney.com. You've put in the work for your education. The extra early, extra late, extra, extra work. That's because you understand education opens doors to better pay, better opportunities, and a better you. Being educated about playing the lottery is no different. It helps you be a better player, one who knows when to play and when to take a rain check. The lottery's a game, so let's keep it fun. Learn more at sceducationlottery.com slash better you. All right, 23-14, Clemson at the media timeout, the under-12. Tigers are leading North Carolina 23-14, continuing to shoot at a high rate, 53%. North Carolina's at 29%. P.J. Hall has 12 for the Tigers. And again, at halftime, South Carolina leading Ole Miss 43-31. to We'll have recruiting coming up for you in just a little bit. And also an interview I did the other day with South Carolina catcher Cole Messina who is looking forward to having a big year for the Gamecocks this coming season after a big year last year. And Messina was named an All-American today by the Collegiate Baseball Writers Association. Give you some details on that story here. As he and Ethan Petrie from the Gamecocks were named to that team, the National Collegiate Baseball Writers All-American team, Petrie was named first team Messina was named third team. Coastal Carolina DH Derek Bender was named first team. Coastal catcher Caden Bodine was named second team. And Clemson outfielder Cam Canarella was named to the second team. So state teams well represented there. And yes, Messina, why his walk-up song is not Funky Cold Medina? Yeah, I just think that's too much of uh, low-hanging fruit. <laughs> Low-hanging fruit. I've always wondered that, though. I thought it was a perfect match for him. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Gamecock baseball, story by the state today confirms what is going to happen with the baseball 
play-by-play radio crew following the death of Tommy Moody back in October, and Stuart Lake is going to replace him on a regular basis, former head coach at Charleston Southern, former assistant coach at South Carolina, uh, been working with the university, so he'll be the color commentator replacing Tommy Moody. Tommy, of course, TV, will be missed. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Phil, yeah. I think he's done a lot of TV on the uh, baseball side. He so, has. Yeah, he has. Seems logical. Yeah. The uh, net ranking going into tonight's games, Clemson was at 37. South Carolina was down one spot from yesterday, down to number 39 after whatever games were played last night impacted that. And, boy, one of the best running backs in South Carolina State history has passed away, Michael Hicks. The uh, Times and Democrat with the story, Hicks passed away on Friday at the age of 51 in Thomaston, Georgia Medical Center. Among the top running backs to play for the Bulldogs, only three seasons, second all-time in rushing at state, over 4,000 yards, single-season leader for rushing touchdowns with 22. I remember him. He was, he was a terrific. I tell you, if they had had the transfer portal, John, back then, he would have been somewhere else. He was he was that good. He would have moved up. He was that good. Very sorry to hear about his passing at the age of 51. Furman, Furman announced their football schedule today because Southern Conference has put their league schedule together, and we had the schedule for the Citadel last night, and today Furman released theirs, and so... I'll tell you what their schedule is. It is going to be as follows. They will open up with their traditional opener, August 31st, at Ole Miss. <laughs> at Ole Miss. Hello, not Lane sure if I'm Lane Kiffin. Kiffin. I'm not sure I want to mess with Furman, though. He couldn't have found an easier FCS opponent. Really? I think I'll Furman off the table. Charleston Southern, the home opener on the 7th, then Stetson on the 14th at home, then at William & Mary. That'll be a tough one on the 21st. Samford at home the 28th, then at the Citadel on the 5th, Chattanooga home on the 12th, Western Carolina homecoming on the 19th at VMI the 2nd of November, Wofford the 9th, East Tennessee on the road the 16th, and Mercer at Mercer to close it out on the 23rd. So two league games to close it out, 16th at East Tennessee, 23rd at Mercer. That's the Furman schedule. And uh, this was kind of interesting. After Sportico first reported on Florida State talking with private equity firms in August, Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay newspaper uh, requested, and that'd be the Tampa Bay Times, requested records. He got 2,500 pages last week. He says these uh, papers, they touch on everything from nine-figure deals to a potential exit date from the ACC to naming rights at Dope Campbell Stadium. So, Wow. If you want to read all this, it's in the Tampa Bay Times. Maybe you can get a free read. Um, obviously, it's very detailed. It's called Project Osceola, um, and it goes into detail with what Florida State is is looking to do. He's got emails that he acquired and, like he said, 2,500 pages of detail about all that. So, yeah, Florida State's not sitting back and letting things happen without uh, taking their own steps to – to look out for their their best interest and their future for sure. Okay, uh, we got Hank standing by in Columbia, so let's uh, bring him on board. 
As we approach the bottom of the hour, recruiting coming up. We'll hear from Cole Messina as well, plus Smitty with a report from Chapel Hill coming up. Hank, welcome in. How are you? I'm doing fine, Corn. Are you over the and game I'm tonight? Not... Yes, I am. But I was listening to you during the halftime, and I was saying, why would uh, you think the football players have to give the scholarships and all if they consider the employees? You have a ton of students over here who attend and are on scholarships and are also able to get jobs at the university. Um, during my time when I was at the university, I worked. I was on scholarship, but I also there were some jobs in different areas they advertised on campus and they worked for the university. They didn't make me give up anything. Well, first of all, let me say I'm damn honored that you're at a basketball game and listening to sports talk. Now, that's what I'm talking about. That is what I'm talking about. That's devotion. Now, to your point, yeah, I agree with you. I think Chris was just asking the question. I agree with you. I I don't see them, even if they have to pay them hundreds of thousands of dollars in their contracts, they're still going to pay for their education. That's going to be part of the deal. Yeah, I mean, because what the, the big thing about it is treating them differently than you would treat any of the other students. And you got kids here on academic scholarships that got jobs at the university uh, because it's free enterprise, you know. <laughs> it is free. They're money. already treating them differently than than all the other students on campus. And that was sort of my point. If you're going to pay somebody $100,000, $300,000, or like uh, Carson Beck uh, reported, what, he has a car that's worth $300,000. I think they can afford to pay for their own school. That's sort of my point. Well, now, I agree with well, Phil and you. I don't think it's going to happen. But to say you uh, treat them differently, they're already being treated differently mm-hmm. than the other students on campus. Yeah. Well the, well, the thing is, though, with them, though, if you think about it, they're already getting paid. He's signed his contract. A player that's a fo- comes on a football team on scholarship, and he just skips practice for a couple of weeks, and they put him off. And he, and, he, and he pretty much, at the end of the semester, gone. <laughs> so they're, they're already working their contract when they sign that grant, uh, that letter of intent. <laughs> well, yeah. You're, you're, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, you know, this is all going to get sorted out over the next uh, few years as we move towards that, uh, towards that plan for, for paying the players toward whatever organization uh, takes it over and however they decide to run it. Real quick, we got about a minute to go before we hit the break. Uh, since you're there, be our eyes on the game. What did you think of that first half? First half was pretty good. They scored. The guys scored. They're playing defense. They got some talented players on Ole Miss. If the guys keep on playing like they're playing, they should be all right. <laughs> well, if they can keep it up, they keep shooting uh, 60%, you're going to win most games. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they're playing good defense like they always do. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I can tell you, this place is sold out. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't a seat in the house. <laughs> It looks it. I've seen so. some video. It looks like the place has been rocking tonight. So that's great. That's great for basketball. And uh, yep. see, and the key is, of course, you win a game like this. You prove to people, especially if you can win it, you know, comfortably, not mess around and have a uh, a Hail Mary at the end to bail you out or a free throw or whatever. Win this thing by eight or ten points. Win, um, you know, give the fans something to be impressed with. And I'd say so far they've been impressing the home crowd, no doubt. All right. Thank you, Hank. Oh, yeah. Appreciate okay. you. Take care. Clemson still holding on to its double-digit lead, 30-18. to 18, Just under eight minutes to go in the first half in Chapel Hill. Tigers are still shooting 50%. And P.J. Hall has 12, and Joseph Girard has 10. And we'll be back.
All right, welcome back. Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network on a very busy basketball Tuesday night. Phil Kornblut here in Columbia with Joshua Cohen, and we have Chris Bergen in Louisiana where there's no basketball going on for him right now. He will have basketball tomorrow night. We've got Smitty up at the Dome, uh, the, the, the Dean Dome, the Smith Center, up there at, uh, you know, one thing I loved about the old-time North Carolina people that played for Dean Smith, you would never hear them refer to him in any other way than Coach Smith. Yes. I mean, seriously, not a single one who ever either played for him or had some connection to him would never, ever refer to the Smith Center as the Dean Dome, you know. No, gosh, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. Uh, great respect, obviously, that and that you know manifests itself today in that program. They still obviously speak of him in referential terms. Clemson up thirty four twenty three, five fifty nine. The question just begun, becomes: Can Clemson uh, hang on through the critical last four minutes of the first half, first four minutes of the second half? Can they continue to play at a high level? They're shooting fifty four percent. PJ Hall's got fourteen, only one rebound. Um, not a lot of rebounds to be gotten. Clark's got five. So, you know, the question is, can the Tigers uh, hang in there, hold it together over the next uh, almost 26 minutes of game time? Meantime, in Columbia, the Gamecocks are they're stretching their lead 53-36. They're winning the second half 10-5. to Gamecocks are shooting 50% in the second half. They're four of eight. They hit another three-pointer. And right now, Murray Boyles has 12. He is 6-for-6 from the floor. He's got five rebounds. And Cooper has got 10 points. He's got a couple of threes. And Studi's got nine points on three threes. Everybody who has played has scored for South Carolina. And they've got 12 assists on their 22 buckets thus far. Again, Chris, the the numbers – for South Carolina, just continue to point to the positive of, of doing things in such a positive way. Um, yeah, that, what what can you pick on the seven turnovers? Well, Ole Miss has that, turned it over seven it. times, yeah. but they're winning the boards nineteen to ten. They've got seven offensive rebounds and fourteen second chance points, and they're winning in the paint twenty four to sixteen. So. Again, perfect combination. They're knocking down threes, they're getting offensive boards, and they're scoring in the paint. Also, the more impressive stat, if you're looking nitpicking, is the turnovers. There are probably a few too many to Lamont Paris's liking. However, outscoring Ole Miss has been 16 to nothing. And, and that's something we normally see from South Carolina, but it's on the women's side because we talk so much about Carolina's depth on the women's side. But you're talking, it's, I guess, a luxury when Miles Studi is still coming off the bench and Morris Ugasuk and what they've gotten from uh, Josh Gray as well. But, I mean, to be able to, to hold Ole Miss's bench without any points through now what, what have they played, 25 minutes of the game, I mean, it's just remarkable what they're doing up and down that lineup. And I don't know that Lamont Paris can be upset at all with what he has seen thus far tonight, especially as you hit on it to open up the show, talking about can they handle the moment being ranked for the first time since 2017, full house. You know, Gamecock fans are still trying to buy in, but they're still afraid maybe the other shoe's going to fall. I, as I mentioned last week, if you're not on board with this team, I don't know what you're waiting on because they play basketball the right way. They share the basketball, they play defense, and clearly they can shoot the eyes out of it as they are tonight. All right, got to give you this score. I cannot believe what I'm seeing. This is in Atlanta, Wake Forest and Georgia Tech. 
six minutes to go in the first half, it is 32-5. to 32-5, Wake Forest. Georgia Tech is one for 22 from the floor. Oh, my gosh. One for 22, and the guy who's got the one has missed seven other shots. He's one for eight from the floor. They're one for 22 from the floor. They are, and that was a three. They're one for 11 from three. They're two for two from the line. They're getting beat 33 to five. And it's not like Wake Forest is lighting it up. They're 12 of 24. They have two three-pointers, seven of seven from the line. My goodness, 33 to five. You just don't see that. And Georgia Tech's not a bad club. They've had their moments this year. Especially at home. You normally shoot the ball much better at home than you do on the road. And to be able to have uh, Wake Forest just handcuff you like that at home is, is flat amazing. I wanted to go back to P.J. Hall, though, for a moment. I saw a stat uh, after their game against Virginia that, that just uh, really was eye-opening for me. And I'm not sure we give enough credit to P.J. Hall. We talk a good bit about him here on the, this program, but I don't think nationally people look at him as how good a player he is. He's one of just five players now that have amassed 1,400 points, 500 rebounds, and 100 block shots in his career at Clemson. The other guys are un- unquestionably Hall of Famers at Clemson, right? Trevor Booker, Dale Davis, Eldon Campbell, and Tree Rollins. Mm. And to be able to mention P.J. Hall in that list – is, is fascinating to me and just a credit to what he's done. But, again, I don't think he gets anywhere close to the credit, maybe outside of the Clemson community, as to how good a basketball player, all-around basketball player he is. Mm, fantastic. All right, 53-39 South Carolina, 14.05 to go, leading Ole Miss. Clemson, 35-25, 5.01 to go in the half up in Chapel Hill. Let's give you the recruiting report tonight. Our recruiting report is brought to you by Seawells, the place to go for the daily luncheon buffet. Hope you can make it over there one day the rest of the week. Looking forward to a grandiose finish with the uh, Roast Beef Friday at uh, Seawells. And, of course, every day from 11 till 2, it only costs you 14 bucks. It's a great, great deal. And for the best in catering, you got something that requires the very best in catering, then you want to give Seawells a call. If you don't want the best, then don't call Seawells. If you want average, below average, you want lousy, don't waste your time. You want the best, you call Seawells at 803-771-7385 online at SeawellsCateringSC.com. So it's some recruiting. Good day to go tomorrow, Phil. I've got the menu. Oh. I've come out here to the capital of food. Go right ahead. And Seawells, I think, could compete here in Louisiana, but tomorrow's southern fried chicken, baked flounder, and spaghetti on the buffet menu. Nice. And Friday is a roast beef Friday? It is indeed. Carved roasted sirloin of beef. Tomorrow they'll run it back with southern fried chicken again, beef stew, and pulled pork tomorrow on the menu. That sounds great. All right, to the recruiting report. Offensive guard Jacoby Ward, 6'4", 335, from Benedictine Academy in Savannah. He's a big fan. South Carolina offensive line coach Lonnie Teasley. Obviously, that bodes well for the Gamecocks. He has USC in his top ten, along with Texas A&M, West Virginia, Miami, Tennessee, UCF, Auburn, LSU, Alabama, and Kentucky. No single favorite, but the Gamecocks are definitely one to watch. He's had a long relationship with Teasley, who said he said he's been recruiting him since he was in the eighth grade. He's always been very close to him and his mother. He has been to South Carolina for multiple camps. He's been there for recruiting visits. Uh, He's been there for a game. He was there for the Clemson game. 
They like him for guard. He can play tackle. He plays tackle, but schools like him for guard because he's very good with his quickness. He feels like he can pull at his size. He's pretty tough uh, leading the way when he pulls. So he uh, really um, learned a lot about South Carolina on his visits. He likes the culture that he's seen from Shane Beamer, the brotherhood, as he put it. He loves the way South Carolina carries themselves as a team. He loves how Beamer always has a way to bring the team up, etc. And from talking to Teasley, they want him to come up there for a couple of days so he can watch a spring practice one day and then go to the spring game and then a spring practice before that. So he's planning a couple of trips to South Carolina. He plans to take other visits in the spring and from there decide on his official visits this summer. T.L. Hanna, cornerback Cam Strong, had a busy January. Junior day visits to West Virginia, NC State, and Georgia Tech. And he plans to take more unofficial visits in March. And then he'll take his two official visits. I'm sorry, he'll take his official visits in June. Those visits and dates have not been determined. Clemson and USC recruiters were among those who came through his school in January for a visit. He talked recently with Clemson cornerbacks coach Mike Reed, who was checking in on him. He also met with USC recruiter Justin Stepp at his school. He talked on the phone with secondary coach Torian Gray, and Gray invited him to visit this spring. Other schools to come through T.L. Hanna in January for strong included Duke, NC State, Charlotte, Tennessee, West Virginia, Virginia Tech, and East Carolina. His most recent offers came from Georgia Tech, East Carolina, and Jacksonville State. Strong said Clemson has continued to show good interest, and he's also been getting solid interest from NC State, West Virginia, and Georgia Tech. Sumter defensive end Anthony Addison was offered today by Duke. Tight end Hollis Davidson of Peachtree City, Georgia, who had an offer from USC, committed to Auburn. 2026 defensive back Samari Matthews of Cornelius, North Carolina, plans to attend the March 9th Junior Day at Clemson. Clinton wide receiver linebacker Kadon Crawford committed to Coastal Carolina. Defensive tackle Keenan Hatcher, 6'3", 315 of Greensboro, North Carolina, committed to Coastal Carolina. Reminder, tomorrow is National Signing Day number 2. Not expecting anything from Clemson and South Carolina, but the other schools around the state will be busy. We'll have all the new signings for you tomorrow night right here on Sports Talk. There you go with recruiting. And you can follow us on our X page at Sports Talk SC. And, of course, our website, sportstalksc.com. Use the hashtag ST Recruiting. Clemson up 39-25, 310 to go. Ole Miss getting a little closer to the Gamecocks. They've made four of their last five. It's a 57-46 game at the CLA with 11-20 to play in the ballgame there in Columbia. All right, baseball season is coming at us quickly. The other day, USC had a media outing with several of their players, including their All-American catcher, Cole Messina. Had a chance to catch up with him for a little one-on-one as we talked about how he has come along to reach the All-American level as a player and his expectations for this coming season. All right, Cole, you ready to go into this season as a highly acclaimed catcher with a nationally ranked team? How are you feeling about the way the offseason went and getting ready for the season? No, I'm super excited. I think that everyone in the locker room knows how hard we've worked. I think the coaches know how hard we worked, and we're going to continue to work until opening day. I think 
everyone's ready for opening day, that first that first game, to kind of show everyone who we are. And I think we're super excited. In what areas do you think you guys work the hardest in the offseason, maybe compared to the past couple of years, maybe a little something different that you worked on? I wouldn't say anything different, honestly. I think we show up to the field every day with the same mindset of we're going to be good in all aspects no matter what. And I think that it's showing. I think if you watch the scrimmages, I think you can see like in all how good we are in all aspects of the game. Of course, you're the guy back there taking it from the from the pitchers. You get the great look at them. What do you think of this group? You lost some really good starters from last year. What about the guys who'll have to step up this year? I'm excited. I'm excited for them. I mean, they like I've said before, they work extremely hard every day. I think that they all can do it. I think they know that they can do it. I mean, we reiterate to them all the time that they can. Obviously, we lost three great starters and some relievers, but at the end of the day, you kind of just got to move on and be ready to go for this year. So, Those were older guys that you lost last year, so maybe you didn't have to be so hands-on with them as a catcher. How about with these guys? I mean, I know they've got some innings behind them, but they're still a little bit younger. Are you a little more hands-on with these guys? You could say that. I think that um, this fall and spring I've been more like talkative and, like you said, more hands-on just like talking to them about certain things and whatnot. So, I mean, yeah, you could say that. Do you see a particular characteristic uh, with these starting pitchers that kind of stands out in your mind as far as just how they are as pitchers? I think a word that comes to mind is like bulldog. I think they all have that bulldog mentality. Like if you look at Eli Jones, Dylan Eskew, possibly Roman Kimball, Matthew Becker, I think that they're all going to go out there and give it everything they got and compete until they can't compete anymore, so. How do you feel about yourself? I mean, you're going in as <clears throat> first-team All-American catcher and uh, highly acclaimed. And uh, when you look at yourself now, as far as how far you've come as a player, what do you see? I mean, it, you can't not say that, like, I'm proud of myself. I think that, like, all the work's paying off. But at the end of the day, you got to be able to play come February 15th or whatever it is. So, I mean, like, yeah, it's cool to see. It's It's nice to, like, see all that stuff. But... At the end of the day, it doesn't doesn't really matter that much. You know, it's whatever they say at the end of the year. So I'm excited. When did it start to click for you in your career here at South Carolina when it all started to come together and you felt like, hey, you know what, I could be one of the best catchers in the country? I think going all the way back to last spring, I think last spring it kind of turned on for me. You could say, like, struggled my freshman year, struggled that summer, struggled the fall, and it just one day, like, me and Coach Lee sat down and he was like, hey, like, you can do it, like, you just got to do it. And, like, ever since then, it's just kind of been full steam ahead. So, More of a mental thing. You, you had the physical tools. You just had, to, just had to convince yourself you could do it? Yeah, it was more of just, like, compete every pitch, like, no matter how I feel, like, no matter what's going on outside. More of a, like, you know, just showing up every day ready to get after it and competing no matter what. So last year you guys make it to the Super at Florida a team that you swept in the regular season, but you had to watch them celebrate and go to Omaha right there in, in Gainesville. What did you take from, from that series, uh, losing that series, that maybe has motivated you or maybe driven you even more so here in the offseason? I think it was more of the like the feeling of losing, like going and hugging my parents crying. Like I don't, I want to be crying tears of joy next, like this coming year. So, I mean, it's just been it just motivates me every day to work harder, get everyone going on the same track, work, make sure everyone else is working just as hard. And I think that the older guys of this group have done a great job of that. So, and when you can, when you can smell Omaha, I mean from Gainesville, and you can smell it from Columbia, I got to believe, as we all know, getting to Omaha it's a lot easier if you're hosting that super. So, 
do you put you want to win every game but you understand that the the very first game is when you start building that resume to be in a position to host a super is that kind of the approach you guys are taking yeah i mean i think we take it day by day game by game i think you know if we if we lose a Friday night game, screw it. Like, we got to turn around and try and win Saturday and Sunday. Like, I think it's just building blocks, and you just want to keep moving forward and not progressing backwards, I guess. There you go, Cole Messina. Looking forward to a, a big season from him and looking forward to, uh, I'm sure he is, catching uh, the majority of the uh, the big games for the Gamecocks throughout the season. They do have a couple of younger catchers behind him, but he is, he is the guy, I tell you, uh, Chris, between uh, Messina and Bodine at Coastal Carolina, the state is blessed with a, with a pair of All-American catchers. That's pretty sweet. No doubt. Uh, that's a, a very high-level position, and you've got to be good up the middle. And I think both the uh, Gamecocks and, and Shauna Clears feel pretty comfortable with their backstop going into the season. It ought to be a lot of fun. I think all three baseball teams, if we're talking Clemson, South Carolina, and Coastal, all have a chance to make a super regional. And so I think that'd be great for baseball. First time we got our opportunity to see all three host a regional this past year. Maybe we can get a couple more in the Supers this year. And with that said, I'm going to turn it over to Smitty because I think he's ready to roll from Chapel Hill, and I've got to bounce. I right. see you wrapping up practice now. So I will talk to you guys tomorrow night before the game. You got it, brother. Have a good time there in uh, Louisiana. You bounce, and we bring in Smitty who is at the half, Clemson leading North Carolina 43-34. to And, Smitty, the question is, can the Tigers just hold on for another 20 minutes? Yep, that is the question, Corn. And I'll tell you, this crowd was on its hands for 19 minutes of the first half. They had them absolutely silented here. But then R.J. Davis hit a three with one minute to go in the first half, trimming Clemson's lead to 14. And then moments later, there was another three-pointer. This one from Ingram, and it cuts the lead to net down to nine for Clemson heading into the half. So they were really in great position. 19 minutes in, they have controlled this game corn in every facet. They have out-rebounded. Uh, North, well, now North Carolina is ahead in rebounds, but that just took place in the final moments because Shefflin and, and Hall are both on the bench with two fouls at this at this moment. But Clemson had everything going its way. Everything that Brownell drew up had worked. They were six of their first 11 from three-point land. But then North Carolina tightened its defense. Clemson had missed its last three. So the, so the Tar Heels finish on a 6-0 run to cut the lead to where it is. I'll tell you, if you were watching this game and not the scoreboard, Clemson has beaten North Carolina up and down the floor. They have won in every facet. But as you said, can you hold on? Because, you know, North Carolina can score in bunches. R.J. Davis had a very poor first half. He probably will duplicate that in the second 20 minutes. Yeah, you worry about those last two minutes of the first half, first two minutes of the second half. North Carolina finished on that 6-0 run, so they kind of won the final two minutes. And now, if you're Clemson, you got to be prepared for the opening two minutes of the second half and not let North Carolina come out hot. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to dig in defensively right here at the beginning of the second half. And then Brad Brownell has a choice to make because Ian Shefflin and P.J. Hall both have two fouls. And, look, we talked about officiating before the game began that, you know, you're not going to get whistles most likely when you're on the road at the number three team in the country, and it's an ACC stalwart 
a true blue blood like North Carolina. You're not. So can Hall and Shefflin avoid picking up that third foul early in the second half? Because truthfully, when either one of them is not on the floor, Clemson struggled offensively. Their, their identity struggled a little bit because Gerard and Hunter and Clark didn't have a lot of success creating on their own. Everything was going because they were able to feed the post and get it to Hall or get it to Shefflin, forcing North Carolina's defense to move. And then Gerard, Clark, and Hunter were having success off of that defensive movement. All right, Smitty, we'll let you go. Get ready for the second half. Remind everybody to be following Smitty on our X at Sports Talk SC. And, of course, the post game. you'll hear Brad Brownell moments after he wraps up his post game. Smitty will have it up on Twitter in a podcast and also in his story at sportstalksc.com. Thank you, Smitty. Talk to you tomorrow. All right. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Matt Smith in Chapel Hill. Meantime, oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, Miss now. Oh, Miss is the red-hot team. Six of their last seven. The Gamecocks were up by 17 eight minutes ago on the game clock. Now they lead by three, 61-58, under eight timeout. So that one is far from over, nail-biting time at the CLA. Let's go down to Charleston, and Sam is with us next here on Sports Talk. Sam, welcome in. How are you? Doing great. Um, hope guys are doing well. And happy Happy New Year to you guys. Happy New Year. I have a couple of questions to ask you. Mm-hmm. So I just said you guys know that um, this Thursday night is a late game. Is that right? Say that one more time. I know this is a late game at eight o'clock on the Thursday night. You talking? You talking I about the? You talking about the Cougars? Yeah, because um, I got. I, I had to leave my place before six because um, most buses do not run until 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. So here's a question to ask you. I, I got the starting five. Can I ask you about that? The starting five so, for the Cougars two have, nights from now. Yeah, that is an 8 o'clock tip. It's going to be on the CBS Sports Network against well, I just said, North Carolina well, A&T. Well, actually, just let you know that um, I got the starting six, but I'm going to name them. Khalid London, Bryce Butler, Mayor Wall, C.J. Fulton, Frankie Bonicelli, and Rain Smith. That's the sixth man. That makes sense to me. Well, actually, um, I want to ask you one more thing about the uh, the thing about this this week. What do you guys think about the – the Charles and Cougars going to March Madness. Are they going to have a? Did you guys remember last year they had that watch party at the arena last year? Mm-hmm. Now I really, really want to know that because um, I'm going to say this to my team. I promise that I promise I'll go with them this year because I will keep marching on. Let's go. Your city. Our city. Our city. Thank Your you, city? Sam. Our city. Yeah, baby. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate it. Yeah, the Cougars, look, they're 16-7, and 7-3 seven, seven and three in the CAA, but they got to beat Drexel coming up. First, they got to take care of North Carolina A&T, but then they got Drexel at home on Saturday. That's going to be huge. Drexel's the, the best team in that league. The team projected to make it to the NCAA tournament representing the CAA, and uh, they have not – I don't think they've met this year. 
So this will be, is this the only time they're playing? I don't see Drexel any other time on their schedule. So that's going to be, it's going to be huge. Be a huge game for them. They take care of business tomorrow night. And then you get Drexel coming in, and that, that'll that be key to them being able to, well, they still have to win their tournament because this is typically a, a one-bid league. All right, real quick, South Carolina, 62-60, 6.52 to go. We'll have postgame on our website. Thank you, Josh. Yes, Thank sir. you, everybody, for being with us. See you tomorrow right here on Sports Talk.